Hi there, you're listening to the Trinity Community Church Podcast. TCC, a home for you. It's good to see everybody here today at Trinity. Before we get rolling, I just feel like God put something on my heart this morning. Um, Sometimes we think that the Christian walk is void of suffering, trial, and pain. Let me just let you in on this little secret. It is not. And if somebody told you that when you came to Christ, all of your problems were going to go away, they lied to you. And this is what I would tell you. I'd tell you to go back to them and punch them in the face. In Jesus' name. This is what Matthew 7.24 says. Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise. Like a person who builds a house on solid rock. One of the goals that we have as a church is to have faith that is built on the rock of Christ. Why? So that it can be pretty, and we can just look at it because no trials or bad things ever happen to that thing? No. Verse 25 says this, Though the rain comes in torrents, and the floodwaters rise, and the winds beat against the house, it won't collapse because it's built on bedrock. This is one of the marks of believers. Not that bad things don't happen, but when bad things happen to us, we stand. When the enemy knocks us down, we get back up. When things look bad and they look terrible, we take a deep breath, we stick our chest out, and we allow the Holy Spirit to strengthen us, and we keep walking. That's what we do. So, beloved, I don't know why you're here today. I don't know the condition of your heart. I don't know the condition of your faith. But here is the word of the Lord for you this morning. And if you hear anything, hear this. Stand. Stand. Get back up. Stand. God's here. He hasn't left you. His heart is that you finish the race. And how you respond to the wind and the water and the rain speaks to everybody that's watching you right now. Don't hide your story. Stand in faith. All right, that's done. Receive that. Do what you want to do with it. I'm excited. Today is Vision Sunday. What is Vision Sunday? It's when we talk about what we do here at Trinity Community Church. How we do it and what God's called us to do. Um, It's hard to believe Robin and I have been here now for about, oh, about three and a quarter years. I remember uh, still clearly getting a call from our superintendent saying, hey, would you ever consider going to Delaware? And I went, Delaware? (laughs) I mean, we knew it was over here, but I was from Pittsburgh. We knew Delaware was some type of an appendage that was connected. It was an ear to to Pennsylvania. I don't know. And uh, I remember the first time we talked to uh, the, the, the search team, and they invited us to come out to visit. So uh, we flew out. They put us in, uh, into the hotel. We were in the Doubletree Hotel by the mall. You know what I'm talking about? And the weirdest thing happened to me. I, never, I don't think I've ever shared this. I may have shared this story with a couple people. That's it. We're there, and, and, and the hotel is packed. And it just so happens that, that that weekend that we're here, there is a women's conference it's an older African-American ladies, college, sorority, women's thing. And there's literally a couple thousand ladies that are there. And then they have these full male entourages that are making sure all these ladies are going to be okay. So one morning, Robin and I, we go down before we're getting ready to go here, and they have the free breakfast. How many of you know free breakfast is good? So we're having free breakfast, and, and I, I have to get up, and I have to use the restroom. So I don't know what happened. I got up. 
And I ran to go to the restrooms, and they had one entrance for the restroom, and there was a door on each side. And I swear to goodness to this day, when you walked in, it said men and women, but when you got in, they were switched. So I ran in there, there was nobody in the restroom, and I go and I find a stall, and I'm just there, you know, talking to Jesus, doing some things. And all of a sudden, I hear a horrifying sound. It's the voice of a woman. I hear the click of heels, click, 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 and then I hear the door slam next to me. And I do what every good person in the stalls do. I peek down to see what's going on, and I see red heels, and I go, oh, no. This lady's in the wrong bathroom. And then, to my horror, I heard more voices. They were all high-pitched. I heard the clack of heels. This was their get-dressed-up gala day. And before I knew it, I was stuck in the women's restroom with about, I don't know, seven or eight other women. What I feared most had come upon me. And I sat in there waiting for it to clear so I could make my run. But there was a women's conference at that hotel, which meant this. That main bathroom didn't clear up. I sat in there for like 15 minutes. Robin's like, where are you? And I'm like, it's complicated. And I'm sweating because I don't, this is my first time here. And I'm thinking if word gets out, the battleship's going to go right to the bottom of the ocean before I even get out. Finally, I heard dead quiet and I, I, it was like, I'm going to take my moment. I'm going to go. I opened the door. I ran out. As I came out of the women's room, two humongous guys looked at me. They go, hey. I run in. I grabbed Robin. I said, we got to go. <laughs> grabbed her. We got into the car. They're walking out, you know, trying to pummel me. I realized in that moment this. How many of you know your ability to see is pretty important? Right? Have you ever made a mistake with something that you thought you saw but you didn't really see it? Now, sometimes that mistake is like, you know, not a big deal. Maybe you misread, you know, directions on a, on a cake mix. Or maybe you misread, you know, directions, you know, because you don't read the directions, men, when you put that thing together. And then sometimes it's more amplified, like me, when you find yourself in the wrong restroom. You know? I don't know if you know this. How many of you guys wear glasses? How many of you guys had surgery to fix your eyes? Why do we buy glasses? Why do we do surgery? Vision is important. My brother-in-law was uh, years ago. He got commissioned to Embry-Riddle. You know what that is? It's the Navy flight school, top gun stuff, to go fly for the Navy. Each state every year commissions two kids from the entire state. He was one of the two. He goes to Embry-Riddle. He always wanted to be a, a jet fighter pilot. They couldn't take him. You know why? His eyes weren't good enough. This is back 35 years ago. To this day, he's like, man, I wonder what that would have been like. We could have figured. Vision is important. In fact, it's so important. A few people had a few things to say about vision. Helen Keller said this. The only thing worse than being blind is having sight but no vision. George Washington Carver said this. Where there is no vision, there is no hope. I love this. This is from Miles Monroe. He says, I think the greatest gift God ever gave man is not the gift of sight, but the gift of vision. Sight is a function of the eyes, but vision is a function of the heart. Vision's a big deal. It's such a big deal. Even the Bible talks about vision. Proverbs 29, 18, you've probably heard this before, says this. Where there is no vision, the people perish. That same passage in the Passion Translation reads like this. When there is no clear prophetic vision, people quickly wander astray. 
Isn't it any wonder why the big C church today, we struggle so much to accomplish God's heart? Why do we struggle so much? Even though we have God's, Jesus's final words, we have the great commission. He tells us exactly what he wants us to do. Why does the church continue to struggle? We have all the power. We have all the truth. We have the heart of God in our lives. You'd think every church would be filled to the max. Why is it not? Vision. We have a vision problem. If we don't have the vision of God in our hearts, all of us just kind of do our own thing and the kingdom doesn't advance. So why is vision and revelation so vital for us as, as a spiritual people, we're a spiritual people. The Bible says we're a house built with living stones. Without vision, we are not able to carry out the mission that God has for us. We're not able to be the church he wants us to be, and we're not able to take full use of the season that's at hand. Why? Because vision does really two things for us. The first thing it does for us is this. It gives us direction. It shows us God's heart for now. God's heart for the season now. A lot of times we live on yesterday's vision. What does God want to do today? What does God want to do now? That's the form of vision. We want to know what he wants. And the second thing that vision does for us is this. It unifies us. It puts us all on the same page. When the church is on the same page, we become powerful. And the enemy hates that. It terrifies him. So he keeps us divided within ourselves, and with all the churches collectively. What could God do on the planet if all of us churches locked arms and just got it done? There's over 32,000 denominations in the United States alone. Do you know why? The enemy hates vision. And the church is too prideful. Lay it down. Let's figure it out and let's get it done. That's what, that's what, that's what vision does. A church without clear vision becomes ineffective and eventually dies. Do you know that you can have a church that's dying, but the chairs are filled? You can. So why does Trinity exist? What makes our heart beat? What is our prime directive? What is our vision? If you've got your Bibles, turn to Matthew 28, 19. I wish I could tell you that this vision is unique just to us. It's not. Every church has Matthew 28, 19 in it. Every, you know, when, you go, when you go to the hotel, you pull out the Gideon Bible, it's in there. When you go to St. Mary's, that big Catholic Bible that's like, you know, 7,200 pounds, it's got those extra books in it. Amongst those extra books is Matthew 28, 19. It reads the same. Greek Orthodox Church, it's in there. Remember, what was, what was the, 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 the spaghetti sauce? Is that ragu? It's in there, right? It's in there. This is Matthew 28, 19. Now go in my authority and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Easy peasy lemon squeezy. Jesus is getting ready to go. He says, boys, I've got to go. I told you I'm going to go, but I'm leaving you the family business. In case you missed it over these last three years, this is what I need you to do. Go in my authority and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. That is our vision. This is what it encompasses for us. First, it starts with moving in authority. What does Jesus mean when he says, go in my authority? It means this. We're supposed to be like Jesus. We're supposed to love like Jesus. 
We're supposed to move like Jesus. We're supposed to speak like Jesus. We're supposed to heal like Jesus. We're supposed to follow him, to know him, and to make him known. We're supposed to walk in authority. What made Jesus different? He taught with authority like he knew. The apostles and the disciples, when Jesus left, they taught with authority like they knew because they did know. And you know what they're willing to do for that? Give their lives. And they did. They did. They gave their lives. What gave them that authority? What gave them that power? You know what gave them that power? Intimacy. Intimacy with God. The closer you are to God, the more you understand his heart, the more you can speak with authority who he is. This is John 15, 4 and 5. It says this. Abide in me and I will abide in you. A branch cannot bear fruit uh, fruit if it's disconnected from the vine. Neither will you if you're not connected to me. I'm the vine, you're the branches. If you abide in me and I in you, you will bear great fruit. Without me, you can accomplish nothing. Now as a church, this is why one of the things that we're passionate about is pursuing God's presence. You heard Chip talk about it today. We pursue God's presence, why? It's from that place of presence that we experience the intimacy of God. And in that intimacy, we find direction. We pick up authority and we bear fruit. All of those things come from intimacy. Now here's the challenge. Some of you lead powerless Christian lives. Do you know why? You don't know him. You don't know him. That word to know him, it's the Hebrew word, yada, means to know him intimately. The same way it says, you know, in Genesis, how Adam knew Eve, he knew her intimately. God wants you to know him intimately. He gives you that invitation. The more you know Jesus, the more you'll be like him. Plain and simple. So we're passionate about pursuing God's presence because it's in that place that we, we, we understand him and we know him. So I'm going to give you a challenge, beloved. Don't keep God distant. Get close. Run after him. The Bible says if you seek him with all your heart, you will find him. Find him. Seek him. He is the greatest pursuit of your life. We pursue God's presence. That gives us authority. Now, the second thing that we're very, again, passionate about is this. At Trinity, we're passionate about the lost. Why? Jesus told us in Matthew 28 to go and make disciples. He didn't say wait and hope for them to wander into your doors. He said go get them. You remember what he told Peter? When Peter, you know, had the revelation, you are the Christ, you're the son of God. He looked at Peter, he goes, Peter, I'm sure he smacked him and he goes, Peter. He goes, upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not stand against it. You ever thought, the gates of hell won't stand against it. The last I checked, gates are not mobile. You know what that tells me? The church was designed to go on the offensive. The church was made to go. I know it's crazy. You know what the Greek word for go is there? Go. <laughs> Embrace that. You've, you've learned some Greek. You're welcome. We go. And we make disciples. That's why here at Trinity Community Church, we dump the tank to see the lost come to know him. John 4.35 says this. 
These are the words of Jesus. You know the saying, four months between planting and harvest. But I say, wake up and look around. The fields are already ripe for harvest. Some of you have been preparing for the harvest for 5, 10, 15, 20, 30, 40 years. Some of you are so afraid you're going to get lost person's cooties that you never go out into the fields. God called us and he prepares you to go. At Trinity Community Church, we're passionate about the lost. Our heart is to bring people to Christ, to make fully devoted followers of Jesus. Here's a goal this year for you. What could God do? What would happen if every person in this room today made one disciple this year? Just one. When's the last time you shared your faith and you made a disciple? Make a disciple. That's all we're supposed to make disciples. Forget about all the other stuff. Make a disciple. Now, I'm not great with math, but if we all did that, I think we would double. If you brought a buddy, I think we would double. You're welcome for that too. This is our heart, to see this entire region experience God's love, God's power, and his presence. You know, as Gail was sharing today, the thought came to me, if you're listening to, to Sojourner's story, the pursuit of God's will for your life will cost you something. I don't know what to tell you. It's the greatest thing you'll ever receive, but if you think you could do it on a part-time thing, if you think you can kind of do it when you want to do it and not, that's not how the gospel works. It will cost you something. But I can promise you this. There's no greater pursuit on the planet than being right in the center of his will. So do that. Be that. So here's the next question. So again, just so we're all on the same page. At Trinity, we're passionate about pursuing God's presence. That's why we worship the way that we do. That's why we seek him the way that we do. That's why our spiritual formation is the way that it is. That's why we are open to the Holy Spirit moving however he wants to in our services. It's about his presence. His presence transforms us. It gives us, that intimacy gives us authority to be disciples, to be like Jesus. And then we're also passionate about the lost. Lost people matter to God, so they matter to us too. We dump the tank. We do everything short of sin to see people come to Christ. We do. Why do we do festivals? Why do we do this? Why do we do that? Because lost people matter to God. Any way we can get somebody lost found, we're into that, baby. Amen. That's just what we do. So here's the next question. How do we do this? How do we practically pull this off? Our strategy is incredibly simple. Let me tell you why it's simple. I remember I was a youth pastor in, and a youth and music pastor at a church. I won't say the church because I know some people from the church watch this. I was young. 22, 23 years old, my hair was great. I could build youth groups. We, uh, our church was about 200 people. Our youth group was about 250, 300 kids. And I was all these great things, but I was also arrogant. I was prideful. I thought I knew everything. So I'm in a staff meeting one day, and my pastor's upset because People cannot remember our seven M's. We had seven M's to our church. I would tell you what those seven M's are, but I still can't remember them to this day. And me being the humble, smarty pants that I was, he was complaining about people. And I said, Pastor, there's too many things. I said, I, said, I can't remember any of the M's. I said, Pastor, can you tell us the seven M's? And he couldn't. But I got, after that, 
a personal invitation to a personal meeting with my pastor. And it wasn't pleasant. And I remember begging with him, saying, Pastor, um, this has got to be simpler. And I remember he said this. He goes, well, someday when you have a church, you make it simple and see how it works for you. And that was the genesis for me of this. Understanding if you can't remember it, it doesn't work. Right? So here at Trinity, we have a very simple plan, a simple vehicle to, to see the vision take place. It revolves around three little words. Perhaps you've seen them. I don't know. <laughs> Love, grow, and share. Say it with me. Love, grow, share. One more time. Love, grow, share. I believe this with all my guts. I think the gospel can be lived out in those three little words. There's nothing magical about those three little words, and other places may have their own words, and all that's fine, but at Trinity, these are our three. This is what unifies us, and this is our strategy to see people come to Christ. I think this, if we can grasp and understand these three little words, we'll be able to fulfill the Great Commission and be the church that God wants us to be. So for us, it starts with love. Every church should start with love at the center. We have to. If anything else is in the center of that thing, we become something contrary to God's heart. Everything. It all revolves around love. At Trinity Community Church, we are committed to loving God and people extravagantly. Now, it's a very, very simple phrase, but this is very, very tough to do. The God part isn't bad. You know why? Because sometimes we can shut God out. But how many of you know loving people extravagantly kind of is, is a big deal sometimes? Because we live with people. And let's just be real. Sometimes people are jerks. You know, there's probably a jerk living in your house, and every once in a while, it's you. Now, not in our house. I'm incredibly delightful. But other people's houses, you know, like the Periscavage house. <laughs> so what does it mean to love God extravagantly. What does extravagant love look like? Let me show you a little picture. This is, um, you can go to the next slide. <laughs> now, before you kids, you monkey kids start making fun of these pictures, I'm just going to tell you right now. Someday in 20 or 30 years, you're going to have pictures of you now, and your kids are going to think they're hilarious. This is Robin and I from like 150 years ago. This is us in high school. So, the first time Robin and I, we went on a date. We went on a date. We double dated with other people. Um, you know, I was dating a girl and that was friends with her. We went on a double date, and that girl dumped me, and Robin was dating some loser. Um, I don't know. <laughs> so we had this thing in school called the Sadie Hawkins dance. Does anybody know what the Sadie Hawkins dance is? It's when the girl asked the guys. So we did this. We didn't have the fancy phones. We didn't have the texting capabilities. In chemistry, Robin passed a note. To, to my chemistry thing, like three down, and it was something like, you know, the paper was like, would you like to go to the Sadie Hawkins dance, check one for yes and this one for no? You know, so I checked yes, and, you know, and then, you know, the rest is history. Now, if you know anything about school dances, I mean, look at us. Sweet Lord. <laughs> she looks fine. Look at me. Dear Lord. When did I think that was a good look? I, I don't understand that. I have a yellow bow tie. I wonder where Tori gets that. I just forget it. <laughs> So this could not be an ordinary thing. So I remember coming home, and my mom's like, okay, you gotta, we got to get a flower. She needs a corsage. What's a corsage? It's a flower you wear on your wrist because how many of you know we're always wearing flowers on our wrists? 
Why do, we content, why do we perpetuate this? I don't understand it. And then I had to get a little boot in the ear. And then I remember my dad had this Cadillac that he had. It was an old Cadillac, but I borrowed the Cadillac because that was nice. I didn't drive my little piece of junk car. And then, you know, we went, we went to dinner real nice. We went to Red Lobster because everybody knows when you're a kid back in the 80s, if you want to have a fancy dinner, you go to Red Lobster. That's all we had. I mean, we didn't have much, you know. I remember we, the year we got the Taco Bell and it was like scandalous. What's this? It's a Taco Bell. What? And I remember we went to the dance, we took pictures, and everything was great. And, and I remember, I, you know, I, I saved all my money. I was a pizza delivery guy. And we went out and we spent, I probably spent 50, 60 bucks, which was nuts. The tickets were crazy. Everything was nuts. Why did I do all this stuff? Well, because it wasn't a normal date. It wasn't like her and I going to Burger King and then going to the roller rink. How many remember going to the roller rink? Our parents just dropped us off at the roller rink. This is an all skate. Remember that? It was different. It was special, which meant this. We had to do special things. It wasn't normal. It was extravagant. God, first of all, calls us to love him in an extravagant way. It's beyond the normal. This is the love that Jesus spoke to us about. This is extravagant love. It's, uh, it's different than what we're used to. He said this in Matthew twenty two thirty nine. 39. It says, one of them, an expert in the religious law, tried to trap him with this question. Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment, verse 39, and the second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. Did you see those words? All of your heart all the passion, all the stuff that's in there, love me with that. All of your soul, that's your emotions. You know that God wants you to love him with your emotions? Who gave you your emotions? Sometimes we think the emotions are, you know, they're a ploy from the enemy. They're not. Now, you can't be led by your emotions, but you can worship God with your emotions. That means this, the next time you're in worship, try doing less of this and start, you know, start small. Maybe try to do this. And if you're really feeling it, you know, then maybe do this. <laughs> Try. Sing. Let your emotions out. You can laugh in God's presence. You can cry in his presence. You can be filled with joy. We should be the biggest, greatest people filled with joy on the planet. Even in our sufferings, we should have joy. With all your mind, with all your strength. This is not your average run-of-the-mill love. This is beyond just showing up. We don't show up to church to put our time in. We come on Sundays and we meet with God's people and we meet with the creator, the king of the universe. That is a joyous time. That is an epic event. And you get to do that every week together. There's churches all over the world that would die to have this encounter. They meet in cells and jungles. They have to hide. We don't have to hide. We get to celebrate extravagant love. Come. This should be a can't-wait-to-be-here experience. You know? Some of you, uh, the, so last week we had the, uh, you know, we had the Super Bowl party. And uh, my condolences. I wanted them to win. I did. I didn't want, I didn't want Kansas City to win. I heard, I don't know if this is true or not, I heard that Mahomes is a Satan worshiper, but I don't know. 
Who am I to judge? But I remember people walking in, and you know, we had all these chilies, we had cornbread, we had desserts, we had the game on the big screen. It was packed. I mean, you couldn't move. You couldn't put a flea in here. We had a pig. Did I mention we had a pig? Amen. And there was much joy. There was rejoicing. I saw Jose had these, these ribs he got from the pig. It looked like, remember the Flintstones? They put the, the ribs and the car fell, fell over. That was the, slight, the size of what he had. And I remember everybody came in, and as they started to win, the, the noise started to, to rise up from this place. Like It was like, ah! Now, eventually that turned, but that was okay. <laughs> Expectation. What's going to happen? Joy. That's what we should experience in God's presence. Sometimes we, we treat it the other way. We come here like we have to come here. You know, all of us have those certain places that you have to go, but you'd rather be somewhere else. I remember when we first got here, probably one of the greatest places, and maybe I'm alone in this, that I loathe to go to is the DMV. Right? There's no joy at the DMV. There's no happiness at the DMV. Nobody wants to be there. People that work there don't want to be there. Nobody wants to be there. But you have to be. This is one of the greatest things that Delaware has ever done. I've never been in a state that did this. You can go to the DMV and get like your tag, like a six-year tag. You know why they offer that? Because nobody wants to go to the DMV. And I remember waiting that day. And we had all of our stuff, except we were missing this, missing that. We went back and forth from our house to the DMV four times. Four times. Anybody else had an experience like that? You know, and then you have to be nice because you have to be there. You, right? Then you leave and you're like, oh, thank God that's over. Your church experience shouldn't be that. Your devotional time should, oh, thank God that's over. It's not something you have to do. It's something you get to do. Sometimes, you love me, right? Sometimes we tolerate God. Sometimes we tolerate God's people. God doesn't want to be tolerated. He wants to be loved with all that you are. I mean, we don't want to be tolerated, do we? We want to be valued. We want to be cherished. We want to be loved. Let your worship experience reflect that. Let your life reflect that extravagant love. Let it reflect all the joy that you feel. When's the last time you loved God with everything? You just let it out. Your emotions, your heart, your strength. When's the last time you just were overwhelmed with gratitude and love and joy and you just wept? Well, pastor, I don't do that. Maybe you should. Maybe we all should, right? Extravagant love. But there's more. God doesn't just call us to love him extravagantly. It's the heart of God that we pass that love along to others. Look at Matthew twenty-two thirty-nine. 39. The second, a second equally, everybody say equally. equally. Equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, I don't know about you, but the word equal means Equal. Sometimes, can I be real? We think we love God and then people are about right here. God does not view it like that. He says, when you come in here and you worship, you, know, you worship your guts out and you seek God and you lift your hands and you, you pour all yourself into that, he wants you to pour all of yourself also into loving people that way as well. People matter to God. 
We're created in his image. Loving people extravagantly is a big deal. When is the last time you loved somebody so extravagantly that you blew them away? When's the last time you set aside your schedule to just sit and love somebody? I mean, we're all busy, right? Have you ever sat with somebody, loved somebody, but your head was somewhere else? Have you ever just done the bare minimum just to kind of, well, I, okay, I put my time in. We do it with God. Sometimes we do it with people. I remember, uh, boy, it was a long time ago now. I was in Denver. And we, uh, we had a warming center in Denver uh, for the homeless. I remember it was a cold winter day. We had, I don't know, probably about six inches of snow. And we had just got done feeding about 150 homeless people. Men, women, children, soup, it was great. We were just closing up. I remember we had a couple of our older ladies and they were cleaning some stuff. And I heard a, a, a pounding on our glass doors. Now, I've been there all day. I'm tired. I just want to go home. The last thing I want to do is hear a pounding on the door. So I go out there, and I still remember this. There's, there's a woman out there, an older woman, and her head was all covered with snow. She was all bundled up, and she had a little pull-behind suitcase that she was dragging everywhere. So I opened the door and said, can I help you? She goes, am I too late to eat? Everybody was gone. We were probably 40 minutes after everybody left. I said, no, no, no. I said, we'll get you something to eat. I said, come on and come on and get, get warm. So she came in. So I said, let me go downstairs, and I'll say, I'll make you a to-go thing. And she said, that'd be great, that'd be great. So I go downstairs, and I'm getting on the to-go stuff, and her God clearly say, put the to-go thing down, get out a plate. And I was like, well, Lord, I don't want her stealing our plates. She goes, no, 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 get her a plate, a real dish. So, you know, I opened up the church cupboard. Have you ever seen church cupboards? We don't have one matching set of anything. There's one dish here, one dish here. So I pulled out like a little plastic thing. She's no, no. She, he said, get the best dish you have. So I dug through there, pulled the best one out I could find. And I got plastic. No, 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 get good, get real silverware. And I was like, well, but I'll have to wash it, Lord. And he goes, I know. He said, put it on this. He goes, and I want you to, to serve this to her. He goes, and I want you to sit down and, and talk to her and have a conversation with her. So I went downstairs. I got all the stuff. And everybody's looking at me like I'm crazy. And I put them on a tray, and I come up, and we had like ham. Well, you know, it was a beautiful thing. And I sat down, and she's like, well, where's the to-go stuff? I said, no. I said, we're going to have dinner together. Like, can we have dinner together? And I didn't want her to feel like she was eating alone, so I grabbed a cookie. <laughs> yeah. And we sat down, and she looked at me, and she, I mean, she looked at her plate, and she wouldn't look up at me. And, and finally, I just started talking to her. I said, are you okay? And she looked up, she had tears streaming down her face. She says, I can't tell you the last time I ate anything with a plate or utensils. She goes, I can't tell you the last time I actually had a meal and I talked to anybody. And we sat there as the snow was falling. We talked for about an hour. All the ladies were busting clean and everything. And we just had a pleasant time. And she left and we prayed for her and she went on. Now, I don't know where she's at now. I don't know what she did. I don't know how the path of her life went out. But I know this, on that night, God asked me to love her in a different way than I normally would. Extravagant love going a little extra, loving people beyond what's expected, loving people beyond the norm. I mean, isn't that what Jesus asked us to do anyway? Isn't it? 1 Thessalonians 3.12 says this, and may the Lord increase your love until it overflows toward one another and for all people, just as our love overflows toward you. So at Trinity, first and foremost, right at the center, we love God and we love people extravagantly. Everybody say extravagantly. extravagantly. This is what we do 
This is what we pass along. This is part of our DNA. Second, we grow. We're committed to growing in our faith and helping people to grow in theirs. Why are we so committed, you know, to helping people grow? How, does, how do we pull this off? I mean, what's the deal with that? Again, you've heard me say this phrase a million times. My dad taught me this when we were working in the greenhouse when I was a little boy. Healthy things grow. God designed things when they're healthy to grow. Healthy plants grow. Healthy people grow. Healthy animals grow. Healthy trees grow. Healthy things are designed to grow. So the goal for us as believers is to help people to, to be healthy, strong disciples. If they're healthy, strong disciples, they're going to grow. Everything you do, if it's healthy, will grow. Healthy relationships will grow. Healthy faith will grow. Your faith was designed to grow. 2 Peter 3.18 says this, Grow in grace and in the true knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus, the anointed, to whom be glory now and until the coming of the new age. Amen. God wants us to grow. Now, some of you are here today, and I'm going to be honest with you. You're stuck. Your faith has become stale. It's become boring. It's turned inward. Do you know why your faith is boring again? Or today, do you know why your faith is boring today? You decided to stop growing. You decided to stop growing. Who is responsible for your spiritual growth? Everybody take your finger. Point it at me. Now point it back at your nose. It's you. You're responsible for your spiritual growth. Now, I can feed you every week. I have no problem feeding you. I'm very hospitable. But how many of you know it's tough to live and be healthy on one meal a week? Now, as I look out upon the crowd, I'm not going to look at anybody in particular. But I can tell through osmosis and the spirit that some of you are eating more than once a week. And you know who you are, right? You have to decide to grow. You have to take your spiritual growth into your hands. You do. Grow. Don't be bored with your faith. My faith is never boring. It's always exciting. Because I've decided to not stop growing. I read. I press in. I seek the Lord. I want to grow. I want to be vibrant in my faith. It's important that you learn to grow in your faith. Why? So that you can mature. The more mature you are, the more God can trust you with. Some of you are like, well, I never get to do anything. Because you're not mature in your faith. You could be here 20, 30, 40 years and not be mature in your faith. Grow. Grow. By the way, here's a little side thing. How do you, I mean, how do you see if people are mature? It's very simple. This is not rocket science. It's the fruit you produce. Fruit. We don't judge people, but we inspect fruit. If your fruit stinks, you're not growing in your faith. I don't care how much Bible you know. All of us produce fruit. What fruit are you pouring into the body? Are you pouring in love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self, uh, selflessness, you know, uh, perseverance, and self-control? Are you sowing in gossip, discord? Divisions, factions, lying. You're all, everybody's producing fruit. What, what fruit are you producing? That tells me how mature you are. Right? So we grow. God wants us to grow. He wants you to be mature so he can trust you with more of his heart. He wants you to be mature so he can trust you with his power. 
Why is our church powerless? When I say our church, I'm not talking about our little church, the big C church for the most part. Because he can't trust us with his power. Be trustworthy. He also wants us to grow and to know what we believe so that we, um, we're anchored to the truth so that we don't fall astray. We aren't misled. Ephesians 4.13 and 15 says this. These are the words of Paul to the church in Ephesus. We must become like a mature person, growing until we become like Christ and have his perfection. Again, what's that word perfect mean in the, in, in the Greek? Complete. He wants you complete. He wants you whole. It says, then we'll no longer be babies. We will no longer be ta- uh, tossed around like a ship in the waves that carry one way and then another. We will not be influenced by every new teaching we hear from people who are trying to fool us. They make plans and try, to, uh, and try any kind of trick to fool people into following the wrong paths. No. Speaking truth in what? What? In love will grow up in every way into Christ, who is the head. Beloved, grow and know what you believe. Understand what you believe. But that's not just it when it comes to growing. Christianity is not just an, indi- uh, an internal individualistic pursuit. And I don't know how this happened. But in our churches sometimes, we have turned Christianity completely inward. Even though Jesus said, love me and love your neighbor as you love me. It's not just about you. He wants you to grow, yes, so that you can be strong and you can be trustworthy, but he wants you to grow so that you can help also others grow in their faith. He called us to help each other, to get to the end. So in our congregation, we help each other. We have a mentoring thing that happens. We pour into others and others pour into us. They do. Always make sure you have people pouring into you. Always, doesn't matter how old you are. Always make sure you have people pouring into you. And always remember, it's our job to lead people along. We help people to grow in their faith. So we love God and people extravagantly. We're committed to growing in our faith and helping others to grow in theirs. And last, we're committed to sharing our faith and our lives with others. Here at Trinity Community Church, we share. As believers, you are called to share your faith. And what's nuts is this. Sharing our faith is such a struggle for us. If I were to poll you, and I'm not going to poll you, and ask you how many of you people led somebody to Christ this year by sharing your faith, it'd probably be less than 10 people. Now, there's a bunch of reasons for that. One, because sometimes we're, we're scared, as if somebody's going to bludgeon us. You know, here's another reason you're ready for this. We've isolated ourselves from all of the bad people. We're afraid we're going to get cooties. Oh, no, they're spiritual cooties. Ah! The last I heard, the Bible said this, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in you. That means this, demons tremble in your presence. They're not going to jump on you. They're terrified of you. They're running the other way. Get near some people that don't know Jesus. Find some really lost people. And lead him to Christ. So we share our faith. We do. It's so funny to me. We struggle. I don't know why. I don't know about you. Jesus is the greatest thing that ever happened to me. He's the greatest discovery I've ever made. Why would I not want to share it? 
Why would I not want to share Jesus? Why would I? I mean, he changed everything. He awakened my heart. He brings me joy. He brings me peace. <laughs> Why would I want to share that? For example, so this morning, I had an incredible experience. I'm walking into the church. I'm having coffee out there. And Janet Bamani comes up to me. She goes, hey. She says, Tony, Chef Tony, he made something for the, the cafe today. I said, what do you make? She goes, fresh biscottis. I go, fresh biscottis? Oh, yeah. So I immediately pushed her out of the way, <laughs> kicked her down, didn't matter, ran to the thing, because I know Cold Flush and a few people were over there. <laughs> and I got a hold of that container, and I said, I got to get me one of them, and I did. And I don't want to overdo this, but I saw a light, <laughs> and it shone on me. It was beautiful. And this is what I did. I ate that thing, and I immediately found somebody who said, these are ridiculous. You need to get one of these right now. And I shared that same, I think I told it to Michael. I told it to, I told it to Chris Merlino. Chris Merlino's back there, and as he's walking out, Tony's here, and Chris is waving it like a banner. He's going, Tony, Tony! True story, true story. I am a champion for our baked goods. Jerry makes cookies. Like, you know, her cookies, they're like that big, which is dangerous. Because you can eat about 150 of them. Cassandra makes ridiculous, they all make ridiculous stuff. Ruth, they all make crazy stuff. When you taste stuff like that, you can't help but share it with everybody because it's the greatest thing to touch your lips. Jesus is better. Share him. Don't be shy. Share him. Share the stories. Let him know all the things. Let people know all the things that God's done in your life. Beloved, it's your privilege to make him known. And here's the reality. The only thing that you and I can take into eternity is people. All your stuff stays. Even your hurt feelings. The Bible says what? When we get to heaven, he's going to wipe away every tear from our eye. The only thing that matters is people. Don't be quiet. Don't be silent. Colossians 4, 5, and 6 says this. Walk in the wisdom of God as you live before in believers and make it your duty to make him known. Let every word you speak be drenched with grace and tempered with truth and clarity. For then you'll be prepared to give a respectful answer to anyone who asks about your faith. We should live our faith in a way that people get thirsty. They get hungry. There's something different about you. Well, you know, what's different about you? I'm glad you asked. Let me tell you. Here, have one of these biscottis as I tell you. <laughs> Supernatural experiences they are. Loving people by the way that they look at you. Now, understand this. <laughs> well, I may get an email for this. I'm going to say it anyway. When it comes to sharing your faith with non-believers, non-believers do not have the same value system that we do. When the lost people, when lost people do lost people things, don't get offended and don't get freaked out. And don't take your 30-pound coffee table Bible and hit them in the face with it. That's what they do. And it's okay. Love them. Lead them. Show them the way to Christ. They don't know. Pray that God awakens their heart. Does that make sense? So that means this. And again, this is another thing for us too. So again, we share our faith. And we share our lives with people. This is how we share our lives. We are a Holy Spirit-empowered church. That means this. We are always allowing the Spirit 
to reveal to us kingdom opportunities. Ways that we can connect with people. Ways that we can connect our lives to other people. Just last week, Bill and I were out golfing with our new friend, Tim, right? And the whole time, we're out there golfing and we're thinking of ways that we can get into Tim's life, talk to Tim about stuff. And we first started golfing and Tim didn't say anything. He was as, he was as closed as a clam. And by the end, he was like a social butterfly. Blah, 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 blah. Little by little, we planted seed in Tim's life. Because you look for kingdom opportunities. First Peter 3.15 says this. Give reverent honor in your hearts to the anointed one and treat him as the holy master of your lives. Again, and if anyone asks you about the hope you're living with or living within you, always be ready to explain your faith. So we, we share our faith with others, but then we take it another step. We also share our lives with each other. Why? Christianity is more than words. This means this. We don't shy away from community with each other. We don't shy away from living with each other and serving with each other. When we serve, we help others. And when you decide to help others, you end up helping yourself. Some of you are, are in a place right now where you're like, well, Pastor, I can't serve because I have too much going on or I, I'm just not ready yet. I'm not ready yet. I have a word for that. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about that. You're in the splash zone. I should have told you that. I apologize. Toby's like, I'm used to it. As he wipes his glasses off, <laughs> right? You're never going to be perfect and ready to serve. By the way, your service is not dependent on just your goodness anyway. It's not. Share. Be a part of somebody's life. Even when things are bad, the best thing you can do is step in to help somebody out. Isaiah 58.10 says this, If you feed those who are hungry and take care of the needs of those who are troubled, then your light will shine in darkness and you'll be like bright sunshine at noon. And look at verse 11. This is the money part. The Lord will always lead you. He will satisfy your needs in dry lands and give strength to your bones. You'll be like a garden that has, much, uh, that has much water, like a spring that never runs dry. As you pour into others, God pours into you. We are rivers, not ponds. We're not a stinky pond, we're a river. God's spirit flows into us and it flows out of us. So we give to others. We share our lives with others the way that God has shared his life with us. We serve others even when it's not convenient for us, even when it makes you uncomfortable. Serving God, sharing your life with others should make you uncomfortable. Now, at Trinity, we've got a ton of practical ways that you can get involved and, and get into, into serving. In fact, if you look here right now, I think the QR code is going to pop up. Next slide, maybe. There you go. Get your phone out. This takes you to the website. Serve somewhere. Get involved. At the end of the service, we have our little serve thing out there. It's got the little tags. Grab a tag. We need your help. Beloved, we are growing like bananas. Yes. So we need your help. She's right. If you got a tetanus shot and you're fearless, we need you in kids' church. Because occasionally they bite. <laughs> That's okay. They bite for Jesus and we're okay. Practically get involved. We've got a ton of serving opportunities here. For example, as we start to ramp up for the Easter services, here in the next couple weeks, we have four big things that are happening for Easter. One, community candy crush. This is where we do, you know, we give you community bags or candy bags, and you could take them, and the goal is this, to invite and pray over one bag, you give somebody one bag every week. That means this. By the end of that time, you would have invited and prayed for four people over the month. Now, again, I'm not great with math. But if you invite four people to come and do stuff, 
that means that there's a potential that we could quadruple. It's a big word, I know. And then we have the way, excuse me, the egg hunt. This year, we had so many people at the egg hunt last year, we're doing two egg hunt sessions this year. You have to. We just don't want to. Guys, God's doing something ridiculous. So come and be a part of the egg hunt. We're going to need 160, you know, to 200 volunteers. Be a part of that. You can give a day of your life to God for that. You can. But there's golf on and I have to fish. Fish later. And then we have the week after that, we have our, our, our thing we called the way. It's our self-guided tour. We had so many people go through the way last year. We have to add a day for that too. And then... Easter this year. We already knew what we were doing for Easter like before the, you know, before the end of last year. Uh, Easter's, Easter's a time where we, we drop the nets. We, we dump the tank. Easter's the highest attended church day of the year. It's a great opportunity to bring your friends, your neighbors, your loved ones. Uh, we were expecting so many people for Easter, we're adding a service. So this year we're going to have a Saturday night service at 6 p.m. and a 9 o'clock and 11 o'clock service. I say all that to say this. Come, do something. Share your life. Be a part of us. When you give your life for others, we model the heart of Jesus who gave his life for us. I thought it was fitting today that we would end today with communion. Uh, so I'm going to invite Ty to come join me. Before we do that, I just want you to bow your heads for a second. And this is just what I want you to have. A, I just want you to ask the Holy Spirit this. Again, the Holy Spirit speaks to you just like he speaks to me. Just ask him this. Say, Holy Spirit, Am I loving you and everybody around me extravagantly? And listen to what he tells you. Ask him, say, Lord, am I growing in my faith or am I stuck? Am I helping somebody else to grow? Then ask him, Lord, am I sharing my faith the way you want me to? Is my life interconnected to somebody? And listen to what he tells you. Thanks for listening to the Trinity Community Church Podcast. We hope this met you exactly where you are. To learn more about us, head to our website at tccde.com or follow us on social media at Trinity Community Church. TCC, a home for you.